Recording from the Sand Peak Studio in downtown Newport Ritchie, this is SP Real Simple with your host, Too Far Steve. And we're live. Hello, Mr. Mark Deeb. How are you today? Doing good. Welcome to the Sand Peak Studio. Thank you for having me. Downtown Newport Ritchie. How's it going? It's going. So we um we met the other night at the rooftop and we talked for a while. I thought, darn this guy is so interesting. I never knew that. Yeah. Well, believe it or not, so I grew up with my dad telling all the stories of Newport Ritchie and downtown and old Tampa and what it was like growing up around here. He was a big basketball star. And then I hear your stories. You kind of had a same kind of story, but from a different perspective because you were a football star. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> I just felt this very interesting, very intriguing, and I, I loved listening to your stories. Well, I love telling them, so here we are. Yeah, so let's kind of rewind. and uh, So we're, we'll start from the beginning. You were born? I was born and raised in St. Petersburg, so I'm a true Floridian. I love Florida. And I, I went through grammar school and high school uh, at the parochial level, Catholic schools. And I was, uh, was an athlete. Started out actually in, gr- in grammar school and uh, went through high school playing football and running track and uh, ended up with a college football scholarship to University of Tampa which I enjoyed immensely. My wife went to UT. That's a great school. Yeah. Absolutely a wonderful place. I enjoyed every moment of it, uh, both in the classroom and out. And as I was uh, about to graduate, um, I was had full intentions of going into the family building business, but there was a recession at the time. It was 1975. And uh, some members of my family had already moved up to Pasco County from St. Petersburg because the building and developing was moving this way. And uh, a brother of mine advised me to move up here but said, uh, you'll have to take a job for a little while first because of the recession. And then once that goes away, uh, you can come into the building business with us. So I became a city of Newport Ritchie police officer. Mm. That was in 75. 75. So um, your family, um, I mean, I'm familiar because I'm from here, born and raised. Um, you know, My family knows your family pretty well. Um, and growing up with your son, Joey, um, I'm pretty familiar with, you know, the building side, you know, you guys developed and did a lot of building, I mean, a a very huge portion of Pasco, especially like the southern part. Is that correct? Like you guys built a lot of homes over there. Well, it actually goes 
much further back than that. Uh, our grandfathers started that business back in 1932 in Panama City. And we ended up with relatives, cousins, uncles, fathers, grandfathers, all over the state. <clears throat> wow. Jacksonville, Tallahassee. Um, my father and my uncle and their father practically built St. Petersburg. Wow. Back then, when they moved to St. Pete, I believe it, there was just two builders in that area, them and somebody else. And uh, they they had so much going. I mean, at any one particular time, they might have, might have had 100 speculation houses up at one time. And sometimes uh, things didn't move that well. And they actually went and knocked on doors and took people's older houses in trade to move some of the houses. But there were other times when it was so busy that they couldn't even get the lumber that they needed, and so they opened up their own lumber company. They named it Peninsular Building Supply Company. And uh, they built all kinds of things, uh, many, many residential units. Um, They built some jails, schools. Uh, all kinds of commercial uh, buildings, and um, and we, ju- we just sprouted out all over the place. We had relatives in Jacksonville, Orlando, um, and and we spread up here to Pasco. Uh, and I'm going to say like '74 is when my cousins came up here, and and as I moved up here in '75, um, I I was able to get in with my brother and my father in late 77, early 78. And then I went out on my own about a year later, formed Deeb Incorporated and been building uh, ever since, got a state general contractor's license. Very nice. Mm -hmm. So before getting into the construction, you were um, a police officer downtown walking the streets walking the beat <laughs> you had some pretty interesting stories the other night uh it's uh very fun listening to you tell some of these stories well um it was it was very interesting uh, as i was uh, a young rookie 21 year old and i didn't have much experience as a police officer yet. I did go to a fantastic academy, and it was at the Pinellas Vocational Institute. But uh, back then, there weren't a lot of police officers that had a college degree, at least around here. And the guys on the force, they kind of like, we're going to show this college boy. (laughs) And they played a lot of tricks on me. And I got involved in some things that... uh, Uh, taught me some lessons. One of the things that I learned was that women can become very mean and will hit you. (laughs) And as as, uh, somebody that was raised as a Catholic, I was taught, you don't hit women, you don't abuse them. And so I was very, very laid back in that area uh, and 
didn't recognize when I needed to defend myself properly from a woman. And I did get beat up by women a few times, <laughs> to say the least. Well, when a woman gets inebriated, she can be a little, a little manly. I found that out the hard way. Yeah, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. So walking around the streets, what was, what's the main differences like that you see from back then to now with like, um, I mean, technology's changed so much. I mean, your cop cars were, I mean, they had one little light on the top, and now we have all these crazy flashing LEDs. And All right, now, wait a second. <laughs> We're not going back to Barney Fife. We oh, had more than had one light. The, didn't we, you have to light the candle on the <laughs> roof of the cop car when, when you had to pull someone we over? Did, we did have a light bar. It was, it was the, the square rectangular type. Um, but uh, definitely different from today. And um, uh, the, the demographics were so different back then. Um, most of the people I recall in that era in Newport Ritchie were retired. Um, and, and as a matter of fact, I used to get from people uh, that St. Petersburg, where I came from, was God's waiting room to heaven, and then they told me that their parents lived in Newport Ritchie. Uh. <laughs> so, so things didn't happen as much as they do today. There, there's much more crime today. There's a lot more people, you know. And do you um, think there's more crime, or do you think there's just more people? So the percentages are offset. Like back then, if you had a hundred people, and there was percent of the people were criminals versus now it's maybe still the same percentage or you think it's higher now well i can't say for sure but i feel pretty strongly that there was less of a percentage of it as well yeah. and we didn't have that many serious serious crimes here in the city of newport richie now on the county there definitely was and eventually i i ended up working as a deputy sheriff here in Pasco County as well. And it was, it was quite different. Uh, but um, I do recall that uh, I went and visited my parents in St. Petersburg and one time, and we were a very religious family, and we'd have supper and say the rosary after dinner. And I recall uh, my father telling the rest of the family, now let's pray for Mark and his very dangerous job as a police officer. And I kind of chuckled and said, well, let me tell you about my big caper in Newport Ritchie last week. <laughs> and they all sat at the edge of the, their chairs to listen and maybe I was going to tell them about some big robbery or some kind of uh, horrible crime that took place. And it turned out to be uh, a little duck in Orange Lake that had been shot with an arrow and the duck was still alive and swimming around. And I was asked by my sergeant to go to the Seven Eleven and get a loaf of bread and try to get the little ducky out of the pond and uh, investigate and see if I could find out who in fact had uh, done this horrible crime. That was my big caper for, you know, the week. Yeah. I mean, for a case like that, it seems like, 
you figure out, is it a homemade arrow or a store-bought arrow? If it's a store-bought arrow, then you know the store that sells those arrows. <laughs> Who bought an arrow uh, this week? <laughs> it, was, it was actually a difficult crime to, to solve. But, uh, and, and, you know, it was also very difficult at times. Um, I, had, I had a tough time doing the midnight shift. I was not used to staying up all night. And it didn't matter if it slept 10 hours during the day. Come 3 o'clock in the morning, I wanted to go to sleep. Yeah. And it made it even more difficult that there wasn't that much going on at the time. Now, one night in particular, I, I was a little bit bored. Nothing was really going on much. And I um, happened to be on US-19 in my cruiser, um, wee hours in the morning, and I saw an armadillo get hit by a car. And the armadillo bounced down the highway a little bit like a basketball, and I stopped the car and went over to it and saw it moving a little bit. So I felt, wow, the poor thing. I need to put it out of its misery. So I looked around. There was no traffic. I pulled out my sidearm and proceeded to aim at the armadillo, put him out of its misery, and all of a sudden the armadillo got up and shot across the street. And instead of realizing that it must be okay, I just reacted without thinking and started chasing it. Don't know why, but as I did, something happened. I did not get every part of my uniform delivered to me. There was something missing. When you put your gun belt on, you have something called keepers. You have four of them that go around the gun belt and then wrap around your belt. Keeps the gun belt up. As I was running after this armadillo, the gun belt slipped down my legs all the way to my ankles. And as I got across the street into the field that is that now has buildings on it, it was an empty field in front of Queen of Peace Church, uh, my gun belt literally tackled me. <laughs> and I went face down in the grass and the dirt. My gun went flying out of my hand. My hat went another direction. The first thing I did was jump up and look around to see if anybody saw it. <laughs> Thankfully, there was no one. But now I had grass and dirt in my glasses, on my shirt, on my pants, and I'm trying to figure out how am I going to explain this to my sergeant. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> Why would you explain anything? Nobody saw anything. <laughs> then I had to find my gun in the grass and my hat, and I went back to the car and went about my business. <laughs> well, you know, when something starts running, it's a natural instinct to just start chasing it. That I did. Yeah. My dog does that. Mm -hmm. I throw anything. He's like, ooh, that's obviously something I need to chase. <laughs> that, that is what I did. It was just natural to do it. Yeah. I, uh, so I hunt and, um, we ride around or when I was a kid, 
not a kid, but I was probably in my early 20s, and I used to uh, just ride around, and I'm, we had this club up in North Florida. It was like 200,000 acres of um, planted pines and as a pine forest, and there's an armadillo way up in the road, probably about 150, 200 yards, and I thought, oh, man, I could hit that with my 22 mag. So I get situated, I shoot, and it, like, rolls over. And I thought, oh, yeah, I got him. So I get up there, and uh, I kick it, and that thing jumps and kicks and spins in circles. And, I mean, I freaked out. I ran. Wow. <laughs> there you go. Yep. I had a uh, possum do that, too. And that sucker was mean. It turned around hissed, and his teeth were showing. And um, those little animals can be, uh, they're small, but when they start showing their teeth, they can be mean. Absolutely. So uh, let's talk about football because this is how I know your son, Joey. We went to Ridgewood together and played football together. And um, it's interesting to find out that you are, uh, you know, you're quite good at football. Some people thought that. Yeah, well, the papers did. Yes, sir. <laughs> Interestingly enough, my my parents kept um, the articles from back when I played football, and uh, I kind of laughed at them at the time. And and uh, but I have them in my possession now, and you couldn't give me a million dollars for them now. I look back at them and reflect, and I relive those days, and they were just awesome. Yeah. So you played for um, what? What high school did you play for? It is now called St. Pete Catholic, but back when I went to school there, it was Bishop Berry High School in St. Petersburg. And we played some of the local teams up here in Pasco as well. We played uh, golf high school. Uh, We did play a a team in northern Pinellas Tarpon Springs. Um, And I think we even played uh, Hernando uh, at least one or two of the years that I played there. So we did move around a bit. Yeah. I didn't find out till recently, or let's say recently, several years ago, I f- my grandfather played for golf high school, state champion. That's awesome. Yeah. That goes way back. Yeah, way back. I have, uh, I have their yearbook, the first um, actually published yearbook that golf high school ever put out as my grandfather's. I have that. And that's uh, it's pretty neat looking at it and seeing the, I don't know, just the advertisements in there. It's like, you know, um, well, they have Swartzel's, you know, hardware store. Uh, call call Green 7 is the number. It's like, that's from a switchboard or something. Like, that's, that's wild. That's a long time ago. So they, um, they didn't have enough players for a team at the time. And they only had, I forget how many players you had to have to have an actual team to be able to play. So they told one of the kids, they said, hey, you're like the next best athlete in the school. I think there was only, you know, their graduating class that year was like 30 or something, and, you know, half of them are girls. So um, there's just not that many students. And then, so I guess the next best player or would have been player, 
They said, you're like the next best athlete. We need you to be on the team. And the guy said, I, I'm not a good, uh, I'm not good at sports. I don't, I'm not really interested in sports. And they said, we don't care. You just need to sit there on the bench. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to go in. You don't have to do anything. We just need you so that we can play. And um, I'll never forget, I was fishing behind a house over kind of like Washington and Pine Hill over that way. And um, this old man comes out and says, what are you doing fishing over here? I said, well, my, my buddy uh, Matt said I could fish back here. And he's like, Matt who? I said, Matt Kingsley. And he said, uh, well, who are you? I said, my name's Steve Lucart. Oh, well, I got a story for you. I know your grandfather. I was like, oh, okay. And he said, uh, let me tell you about the time that we didn't have enough players for our football team. <laughs> We had this old boy, and he would not. Uh, meanwhile, I'm sitting there fishing. I caught two or three fish while he was talking, and uh, he said, uh, "This uh, this guy did not want to play, and we needed a player, so we took him up to the second floor of the building of the school, and we hung him out by his foot out the window until he agreed to play." <laughs> I said, my grandfather was part of that? And he said, well, he wasn't really involved in any of that, but he was part of the team. He was one of our best players. And uh, it's interesting finding out things about – so when my grandfather passed, I found out things that I had – even my dad, too. was He had no idea the stuff that he had done and the wars and just different things, all the accomplishments and things. They're going through his list of accomplishments, and I thought, holy smokes, if I if I do 10% of what he has done in his life, I'll be accomplished. And do I recall that you told me that, that he had a pharmacy on Main Street? Yep, yep. He's uh, where Hess Medical is now, kind of across from the social. That was the old Rexall drugs. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm quite sure that I must have seen him and talked to him many times as the Newport Ritchie Police Department implemented the return of the walking policeman for a period of time. And, uh, and I was part of that program, and I actually enjoyed it quite thoroughly. It was uh, a nice break from the normal uh, patrolling in the cruiser and having to cover accidents on 19 and and answering calls for people that that mostly were nuisance calls neighbors fighting against each other and domestic disturbances and things of that nature and um, so I got on the walking patrol for a while and it was very interesting to say the least um, and one of the objectives was to to get a nice rapport going between the police and the merchants and people in general. And I myself in particular just um, wanted to show them that police officers were human beings and we cared for people and that uh, we could be professional. And um, I enjoyed chatting with the merchants. I walked Main Street 
I walk some of the local um, residential streets. Sometimes I was dropped off at uh, Southgate Shopping Center and walked the shopping center, and once in a while had to arrest somebody for shoplifting. Was uh, Brian Singletary the manager there uh, at that time? I, I don't I don't recall. I don't recall, but I do. I would imagine he would be. Probably so, was. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was uh, it was just it was a nice change, and I really and truly enjoyed um, chatting with the public, and I, I especially liked the fact that I was able to convince the majority of them that um, we should work together right. as police and and residents to help each other out. And um, the, the rapport became very, very good. And uh, I even enjoyed stepping in the air conditioning and having a <laughs> cup of water or a cup of coffee. With, with. We got to know one another, and it, it, was, it was very, very interesting. Well, I think that, you know, you have the officer-friendly. That's who you were, you know. And I think uh, it's, it's comforting to have some presence as, as a merchant, you know, because one of your worries is, am I going to get robbed? Uh, is something going to happen? Just having that uh, reassurance that somebody's around, people are looking for you, people are looking out for you, um, somebody's there for you. Um, I think that's comforting to. Yes, know. and and it was uh, once again very nice to be able to to see that comfort level in their eyes and with what they said, and uh, indeed they they thanked us over and over, yeah. and. Uh, and, and they portrayed that that comfort level to us. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I kind of want to get into, uh, did you do anything outdoorsy? Like were you into fishing or anything like that? Well, um, wasn't into the fishing uh, so much, but um, – I was I was born an athlete, uh, and every chance that I got to do something athletic, I did it. Uh, so I would play some basketball with with the guys. Um, I would um, once in a while I got to playing golf, but I wasn't very good at that, so I didn't <laughs> do that very much. But even even a, a football game here and there, uh, of course. Prior to my football career, and it was it was Sandlot football every day, you know, with cousins and friends and so forth. Um, and then later on in years, um, I I ended up becoming an announcer for some of the some of the local first with the PAL football league. I announced the games for them for a while. Uh, I did a few of the high school games, uh, Ridgewood. Um, as a matter of fact, um, kind of a funny story. One night at Ridgewood, um, my kids never let me forget about this. I was um, I was announcing, and it appeared that um, Ridgewood had made a first down, 
and uh, I get on the microphone and say, first in 10 Ridgewood, and all of a sudden, everybody turns around and looks at me like I was crazy. Well, it turns out when I looked a little bit closer, uh, they had another 10 yards to go. They <laughs> they had only crossed the first marker, Yeah. and I mistakenly took that for the for the 10 yard marker probably a 10 yard penalty and i had to correct myself and say i'm sorry and i (laughs) i kind of leaned down to get back where people couldn't see me and um but i eventually ended up uh, announcing the basketball games for at that time pasco hernando community college which is now pasco hernando state college and i i announced their basketball games their home games for 15 years did it 15 years yes and so uh, the coaches let us use the gym to to throw some games together and sometimes we would even play against uh, the basketball team and and uh, so we had some members of the community uh, member many of them were lawyers and judges and doctors that came out with us and played basketball with us in the afternoon and we got some good exercise out of it those were the kind of things I did. I didn't, wasn't much, much of a fisherman, as I say. Well, um, I ask because um, I fish with your son, and I have to bait his hooks sometimes. And <laughs> <laughs> I understand. <laughs> he seems to like it a lot, he too. He loves it. He yeah. loves it. Um, now, yeah. I love eating the fish. Yeah. Definitely. When yeah. he brings it home, uh, I love it. We've had some uh, some cookouts. It's been great. It is Absolutely. great. Absolutely, it is great. Um, he uh, he's a he's a fun one to, to have out on the boat. He's a good good sport. Very good. And uh, I love his energy when we're out there because he he wants to learn. He wants to know how to do stuff. And um, yeah, it's really good. Did you ever announce any of uh, our games? Or, uh, yes, I did. I I can't remember which ones they were. Okay. But uh, but I did, and um, I didn't do it for a, a long time. I think I was a fill-in, if I remember correctly, when somebody else couldn't couldn't make it. Okay. Well, that's fun. I, I it's funny because I'll listen to announcers while I'm at at games, and I I think this guy I don't know if he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> but it's a little different when you're in the booth and the pressure's right. on, and you have to make the call correctly and you know, understand exactly what's going on. Sometimes the refs aren't really giving you the information that you need to speak properly and you don't see a flag that went out or, you know, there's just a lot of stuff going on. It's not like on TV. Well, on that point, uh, with Pasco Hernando Community College, I had to play three different roles at once. I did the announcing. I did the music. And I ran the shot clock. Sometimes it was very difficult to do all three at once. And I will tell you, there were several different times in that 15-year period where the refs had to blow the whistle and shut the game down and come over and ask to reset the shot clock because I accidentally, my thumb moved a little bit and reset it when it shouldn't have been done. Oh, well. And, and that happens. And trying to do three things at once, sometimes it was difficult. It typically happens more for the opposing team. 
Well, the, that, that actually, it actually uh, didn't happen know, that I'm way. Joking. I'm it, joking. It, I'm joking. But, uh, <laughs> my, my kids, they, they make fun of me and because it, at some point, you know, I left there and they, they say that I got fired because I wasn't, uh, I said, how do you get fired from a job that you didn't get paid for? Cause it was a, it was a volunteer job. I didn't, I didn't get yeah. paid for. Well, they technically can't fire you then. Well, uh, I didn't get fired, but they they made fun of me because of the things that I did now and again and the way I uh, accidentally reset the shot clock, and they said that must be what it was. So you're saying they're ball busters? Yes, absolutely. I can't imagine in any world where your kids would be ball busters, especially are, Joey. Are you kidding me? Um, <laughs> I, I cannot... I cannot be anywhere around them without it starting immediately. And not only Joey, but my grandson, Jovan, my daughter, Chrissy. Uh, and so once in a while, I have my son-in-law, David, and my daughter, Catherine, around. And I'm figuring, well, he's going to back me up. But, you know, nope. I say, come on, David, back me up. He says, give me something to work with here. <laughs> so, so tough yeah, crowd. It is a tough crowd, but uh, <laughs> we, we have a lot of fun doing it. Actually, the one that, that busts me the most is my grandson, Jovan. He's, he's, he's really tough on me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's good. That's a uh, best lighthearted. I, I feel like, and it's uh it's all in, there's good intentions and it's good to, to have that rapport. Cause I feel like if you don't, and everybody is always, um, appealing to everything you say or, you know, just gives always giving praise for everything. And there's never any, you know, you can, you got to give some people some crap a little bit and you got to keep things in check. And, um, well, that's all well and good, but it really would be nice once in a while to get a little praise. Oh, so that is, it's, it's going, yeah, it's go, goes too much the other way now. Oh, well, I feel like there's good intention there somewhere. Well, I know there is. Did they do it with a smile? Yes, they did. Oh, well, not only with go. a smile, they laugh <laughs> to to the extent that they can't even speak. Uh, <laughs> uh, at least they're smiling. When they do it with a straight face, then you think, "Oh, they're serious." They're not just smiling; they're yeah. laughing hysterically. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, so, what are you doing now? Well, actually, I still have my business going, Deeb Incorporated, and my son Joey um, actually wears two hats. He runs my jobs for me, and he has his own company, Templar Contracting, that he does very well with, uh, where he specializes in remodeling homes and especially bathrooms and kitchens and um and he he wears both hats he does a very good job at it he's very very busy so so we're st- we're still working and um i have in fact um been dedicated to to doing and helping things in the community for many many years and i had to i had to give that up more recently I had some health issues. I I was uh, I actually used to be on the board with the Salvation Army. I was uh, I had belonged to 
United Way and went out to to different uh, organizations that were looking for for money for help and I would I would vet them and and we'd come back and decide which ones were the ones that that really were going to spend it the right way um I was a, a member of Safety Town for 15 uh-huh. years Oh, my dad said to give you a bunch of crap, by the way, and that he misses, uh, you know, your arguments and stuff. Oh, that's right. I, <laughs> I served with your dad on the board but he at said the he, concourse. he loves you a lot. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, oh, the, yeah. yeah, we were on the board together at the yeah. concourse, yeah. and uh, I was, I, was uh, I did at least 15 years with the concourse and eventually became president, and I was very proud of that as well. I had also worked with the St. Vincent de Paul Society and many, many other things. And I, I got, got, got to a point where I wasn't even able to get any of my own work done. I was, I yeah. was so busy doing that other stuff. And at, at one point, you know, I had to kind of back off a little bit. And, uh, um, but I, I've also been involved um, for many, many years uh, with, with some, some legal matters um, helping with uh, judicial appointments here in the Sixth Circuit, which includes both Pinellas and Pasco County, and with judicial races, um, I, I investigate thoroughly um, who is, is in fact um, somebody that has the right character to sit on the bench as a judge uh, with, with the right demeanor, um, one that would not want to try to write the law themselves, but uh, but follow the law. Fair and balanced. Yes, exactly. And so I have b- very proudly been a part of that for the past 34 years or so. That is awesome. And um, and I'm still doing it to this day. Uh, and and um, it is it is uh, something that I take very very seriously. And I'm very proud of some of the people that we've helped get on the bench. And uh, they've turned out to be very, very good, solid people and conservatives. That's great. I mean, how do you even get involved with that? Well, I'll tell you how that happened. Um, Because of the background that my family has, I was pulled into the political arena very early in life. My father's brother, uh, my uncle, was a state senator here in Florida. Um, back when I was in fourth grade, I was out campaigning and, and uh, learning the political arena. So, so that's part of it. Then I got into the business arena later with being surrounded by family that was in every kind of business that you could think of. Then one, then then I got into my own business, and then I got into the legal arena when I became a police officer. I made very many contacts with attorneys, prosecutors, defense attorneys, um, and so I was able to put all three of those worlds together, which is really what is needed when you're, when you're doing something such as that. Yeah. And I was approached back in the 80s uh, to help with a with an appointment, um, when there is an opening in, in, um, not just this circuit, I, I pretty much stay in the sixth circuit, which includes Pasco and Pinellas County. When there's an opening, for example, a, 
a judge retires or gets sick or passes away, uh, the governor of the state um, appoints somebody. And the way that process starts is um, the, the opening is announced and applications are taken by the JNC, which is the Judicial Nominating Committee for that particular district um, or circuit, I mean. And um, once they make those applications, the JNC will interview those individuals, and then they'll send a short list up to the governor, usually about a half a dozen for the governor's office to interview and pick. And uh, back in the 80s, as I said, there was an opening in the Sixth Circuit uh, in Pasco, and generally speaking, back then, when there was an opening, um, Jimmy Russell was the state attorney. And Jimmy Russell usually was able to handpick somebody, and that was the one that was going to get it. Well, uh, when I was approached, they were looking for some West Pasco representation. And they asked me, you know, with all your connections, you know, why don't you see if you can help us? So I said, all right, I'll see what I can do. I got to work on it, and I was able to to help an individual get appointed uh, to the bench, and I've been doing it ever since. Yeah, that sounds like a fun job, really. It's very interesting, to say the least. Yeah, I would think it would be. Yes. Wow. Um, And you still do that to this day. I still do, and I have, in fact, tried to retire from it a few times, but each time I do, I get pulled back in. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It sounds like my dad, he he tries to retire, like, completely. He said, you know, I'm retiring from from being an administrator on this, you know, at the schools. And um, then he got talked into being on the school board and being on the concourse. And uh, it just never seems to end. He just always uh, has got to do well, something. It's well, good, though. It keeps him busy. Absolutely. I think and, he, he and, needs that, and, really. And, and he's great at all of it, too. So I enjoyed working with him greatly. Um, but, but also, in reference to the judicial, um, the not only the appointments, but I actually um, give people help and guidance as to who to vote for uh, when, when they are, in fact, running for the bench, running for office. Most people don't know enough about uh, judicial candidates to be able to make a good decision about it. That's true. And, and one of the reasons for that is because there's no Republican and Democrat in a judicial race. Right. Um, and they're not actually allowed to say a whole lot about themselves except what their background is and, and, and why they think they have the ability to be a judge. Um, they don't really get into any controversial stuff and decisions and how they would view this or, or that. So it's difficult for people to make a decision. So many, many rely on me to do the vetting 
and to say this is the, this is the person that we want. And I've branched out into not only judicial candidates, but but everything, you know, wow. senators, representatives. And so basically, what I've done is built up a network, being that I was born and raised in St. Petersburg, and I live in Pasco County, been here since 75. I've got a pretty good network between Pasco and Pinellas so that our representatives in, in, in both the areas and in our judicial circuit, I am able to recommend who to vote for uh, in, in all categories. And I have a lot of people that rely on me. And again, I take it very, very seriously. I'm very humbled by the people that have the faith and trust in me and, and I and I go after it a hundred percent, and I spend a lot of time researching and and coming up with the with hopefully the right recommendations. Yeah, that's got to be a difficult um, thing to to figure out because they don't have a previous background of voting or not voting, but um, how they rule on cases or how they uh, they don't have any previous record of being a judge or. So it's like, how do you tell whether they're gonna? Well, what I what I do <clears throat> is number one, one of the most important facets of it is their character. Uh-huh. So I I look into their character and their background. Uh, I look at how they practice law. I look at how they how they view things, and um, and. One of the very, very big, uh, most important aspects of it is demeanor. Uh, if if there's a, an attorney, for example, that that has the wrong demeanor, uh, it's going to be amplified if he becomes a judge and sits on the bench. And so, many and most people are worried about that aspect of it more than they are uh, the, the person's knowledge of the law because um, once you become a judge even if you're a little bit green in one area of the law because judges they get, they move around into different sections they may start out in family they may move to criminal uh, they might, might move to civil and um you may have somebody that maybe has been a criminal attorney all their life and really don't, don't have the experience in the other areas of law. But uh, once again, the, once they become a judge, their fellow judges are their colleagues and they help each other, and that's not a problem. If you put somebody in there that has a bad attitude right off the bat, that's a problem. It's going to get worse. That's correct. They have a word for that. They call it robitis. Uh, robitis. And it's the biggest fear that everybody has. Uh, <laughs> wow. That's a fascinating uh, look into that world. I've never really heard it explained that way. It's very interesting. Yeah. But uh, I, I, I will say that we, we have some very, very uh, great individuals on the bench in our circuit, and uh, I'm very, very proud to have been a part of, of uh, helping them achieve that goal, and um, uh, they have made us proud. 
I'm uh, I'm friends with a couple of judges, um, and it's interesting talking to them outside the courts, you know. And a lot of them don't like to be out and about very much because they have to interact with people that might have been before them uh, in a you know in a legal aspect, and um, that's got to be kind of tough running into somebody that you know you they did something wrong and you had to tell them hey you gotta go to jail and now you're sitting there eating dinner next to them or something you know that's that's a that's a tough job i could see that yes yeah i can see that there's um there's been times i mean i've been in court a couple times for different things um nothing crazy but um, I remember seeing people being around people and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, like there's some bad people in this room, you know, and that judge has to figure out who's good people, who's bad people. Well, um, when it comes to, to the criminal bench, um, most of the time, it's actually their peers that that make that decision, you know, jury trial. So the judge pretty much is the one that officiates the trial, and yeah. the decision ends up with a jury. There are non-jury trials where the judge has to make that decision. Right. But then in the end, uh, when, when the person is adjudicated one way or the other, uh, the judge makes a decision based upon recommendations from the jury usually and and or guidelines and um, uh, when it comes to a circuit judge as opposed to a county judge a circuit judge has some more serious things usually to have to deal with than a county judge does a county judge will deal with small claims small civil suits um, maybe some traffic issues, some misdemeanors. But when you get to the felony level, that's when you go to circuit court, and that's where a judge may have to sentence somebody to death. Yeah. And that can, that can be a really tough thing. Yeah. My, uh, my cousin Christy, she, um, she was a federal prosecutor in Jacksonville. Um, she's about two years younger than me. Her and my cousin both, my, my other cousin Dave, they both went to law school in Florida to UF. Um, he went to Tampa, worked at a big firm. She went to uh, Jacksonville with her fiance, and um, she was a federal prosecutor. And she's told me some of the stuff that she's had to try. I mean, gangbangers, um, just some wild stuff. People, I mean, just, I mean, you're dealing with murder cases and just unthinkable things. And then for her, she would get, um, like, especially with the, the gang situations or, you know, the, um, they would threaten her. She would have be threatened constantly. And it got to a point where it's like, is my life worth this yes i'm putting people away for life they did crimes they killed people 
put them away. But now all they have all these people threatening to kill me, my family. I mean, oh, that's a tough job. And the judge has got to be, you know, they're they're allowing uh, evidence and they're kind of dictating how the uh, the case is tried. So they're put in a similar situation. That's a tough, tough place to be in. That's why I'm saying is on the circuit level and above, uh, it, it could be a tougher job. Um, the county level, they don't have to worry about that as much. And I often tell many of our judges that have been county judges and maybe wanted to move up to the circuit that uh, uh, why in the world do you want to do that? you got the best job there is on that county bench. <laughs> But um, that many of them have the aspirations for moving up and, and do so. Yeah. And, um, but uh, the, the same, some of that applies to what we were talking about earlier as a police officer as well. Uh, there are many things that happen out there that are, that are very difficult. And, and I recall times not being able to sleep at night. Yeah. Some of the things that I saw out there and had to deal with. And um, I had a, I've had a knife to my throat when I was a young 21-year-old rookie cop. Uh, I don't even know to this day how I got that knife away and was able to put handcuffs on that individual, but somehow I did it. Um, and, you know, there was there were some horrible scenes that, uh, that I had to um, witness and shootings and robberies and you know, I, I, re, I recall a, a robbery to a, a packaged liquor store where a guy got killed by a shotgun, and I was the first one there. And I remember not being able to sleep for a few nights. Um, one one night, I was up on State Road 52 as a deputy sheriff here in Pasco County, and came across a horrible accident, uh, head-on collision with a drunk driver, and. Um, I pulled up on the scene, and the whole top of the car, I, re I recall it was a Pontiac Sunbird, and the top of the car was sheared off, and the driver was a young 17-year-old, and his neck was broken. I could see it. His, his head was like 90 degrees to his shoulders. He was, he was dead, and he had a passenger in the... Uh, right seat that um, was still alive it was a woman and she she her, her face was shredded and and I was sitting there holding her and helping her until the ambulance arrived and and um, the the boy's parents ended up coming on the scene it was absolutely horrible and it turns out um, this is his mother is the one that started Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. Wow. That's a ginormous movement. That's the Absolutely. person that started it. Absolutely. And I had to go tell the parents of the, of the girl about the accident. She was still alive. And I recall that the, she took over a 1,000 stitches in her face. Wow. And I followed up with her. Um, actually, another deputy and, and, and I offered to help tutor her while she was going through the rough times, you know, not being able to go to school. And I followed up with her years later, and the 
the plastic surgeons did such an incredible job that you couldn't even hardly tell wow. with all of that. And she survived that, but it was something that I'll never forget. It's and traumatic. So, so as I'm saying, it's similar to some of what the judges have to go through, some of what, what I, as a police officer, um, uh, some horrible, horrible situations that, that I recall. However, uh, that being said, um, I would not trade the experience that I had being a police officer for anything. It taught me so much about life, about the law, about people. And uh, I basically did it from 1975 to 1985. And um, there were life lessons that have, in fact, made me part of the person that I am. And uh, I would not want to do it today in today's environment with a lack of respect that people have for police officers. Um, my heart goes out to them for what they have to go through now. It's just well, terrible. For sure. And you know what? I feel like there's a small mind, a small majority of people have a disrespect for police. There's a very small... I'm going to call it noise. Okay. If there's, you're in silence and three people over here are chirping about something, that's the noise you're going to hear. You just, I don't think the majority of people have a negative outlook on the police, the paramedics, the firefighters, the, I don't know. There's, I just feel like you hear and see that small percentage. Yes, I would agree with that. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. But It but sucks that they get the, the attention that they get. There, there, It is just at a much greater level today than it was back in my days. Oh, I'm for saying. sure. Well, you have we, social media. We had a lot more respect. We, there's, we there's, were given a lot more respect back then. There's different outlets and different things that people have now to make their voices louder. And I feel like those small percentages get noticed where it's still a very small percentage. Well, uh, and, and I, I, I just think that um, uh, at this point, I, I just feel for the ones that have to put up with what they're putting up with. That's, oh, that's I agree. hundred percent. The, um, I mean, just you telling these stories here. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just you. There's millions of cops that deal with this every day. Millions of, uh, I know a lot of firefighters, paramedics, they're first on the scene on some of these events and things. There was a, a little kid that I guess just got killed on Seven Springs Boulevard today. Oh. Hit on a bicycle. This guy stole somebody's car, took off, hit this kid, wrecked the car. It's a big, it's all over the news. And uh, could you imagine, I mean, I'm sure you can, but I can't imagine at being a civilian riding up and seeing some little kid in his bicycle. I just can't. That would haunt me forever. Those are some, some of the haunts that I actually have. Yeah. And having to go tell the parents of a child that was either hurt or abducted, that was another thing, abductions. 
and uh, and I did in fact have to do that at times, and it, it was it was heartbreaking, absolutely heartbreaking. I, I can't even imagine. That can't even like I just I don't know, I I can't. I can't imagine seeing and doing some of these things that happen daily for for these heroes. Absolutely. Even even some accidents on the highway that were just were just just horrifying and once again there were times I couldn't sleep for a week. Yeah. Well, I thank you and I appreciate everything you've done and gone through and um I appreciate all the men and women out there that are doing these kind of things because it takes it takes a special type of person it takes a hero to do this stuff well and i i absolutely treasure the time i had doing that and i was um very very proud uh to 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 stand up and and protect and be that part of the community and um but as I say, it was a little bit easier to to do that back then than it would be today. I, I don't know if I could handle the disrespect that's out there. Um, even though you say it's it's on a small level, um, it 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 in fact is amplified by yep. by some that that are just uh, awful people. Is the only way that you can that you can term it. Yep. And uh, they'll have the proper respect. It's interesting that the same people that have no respect for law enforcement are the first people that will call law enforcement when things aren't going their way. That's it. That's the way it is. So, I mean, I don't know. Our, Our situation, our country's in a weird place right now. It's hard to explain want to get into that that's a whole nother that's a whole nother podcast <laughs> without a doubt <laughs> uh well hey we've been doing this for an hour now this has been fun i think we wrap it up what do you think that sounds great you know i enjoyed it very much and um appreciate all the wonderful compliments i appreciate you mr deeb and uh, maybe we could do this again and have a conversation about some other stuff some other time. Look forward to it. All right. All right. Very have good. a great one. Take care. All right. <laughs>